welcome back to The Dad Chronicle, where we share stories from dads all around the world. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 97. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. John Luisa, and John is a listener of this show. Um, he's a patron, so thank you very much, John. Uh, but also more importantly, John is a dad, and he's also an OBGYN. Uh, coming off of some of the news around our miscarriage, and I've been talking to John about being on the show for a while, I thought this was a great opportunity to get John locked in and talk about his experience as a father, as well as some of the ways to prepare yourselves for the journey that is uh, giving birth to uh, to your child. The things that you should do beforehand, the things you should prepare for postpartum, there's a lot to consider. And John brings so much wisdom to the conversation. First, we talk about why John didn't want to deliver his own daughter so that he could be present with his wife in the moment of that delivery itself. I was super glad to take off my doctor hat and be there. Um, oh, man, I'm going to tear up. Uh, uh, be there for. We talk about how to be a supportive partner during labor and delivery. There's so many little variables that are come down to you having an open conversation with your partner um, and having that that talk beforehand. And finally, we talk about how you can be supportive of your partner before the pregnancy itself and postpartum. And postpartum depression is not just stress from being a mom. It's it's like an organic change that can also lead to psychosis, can lead to suicide. But the on the flip side is as the partner men we're we're at risk for it too. Here's my conversation with Dr. John Luisa. John Luisa, welcome to the Dad Chronicle. How are you today? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe how long it took us <laughs> to get this set up. <laughs> no, it, it, and this is not a problem at all. Uh, between the two of us having kids that get sick and all the shenanigans that happen in between, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's a mutual understanding. So it is great to have you on. We're very excited to, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about uh, some of these really important topics that partners should be aware of as, you know, as their uh, significant other or whoever goes through the, uh, the birthing process. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, postpartum. So I, I think that we'll, we'll jump into that certainly, but let's give the folks at home an opportunity to know who you are. So why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? My name is John Louisa. As you said, um, I am currently an in-between job OBGYN, uh, trained here in Pittsburgh, originally from the Maryland area. Um, I'm a dad of two beautiful girls, two and a half and one years old, Sydney and Bryn, and the uh, husband to a wonderful wife who's also a doctor. So we have a um, pretty complex social and professional calendar situation. How do you guys balance that, by the way? Um. With lots of help, we throw money at a lot of issues, and we're blessed <laughs> that we are able to do that. That's and lots of calendars, and uh, still lots, of, and still lots of like emotional stress and turmoil about it. Yeah. Now, do you guys have? I mean, obviously, uh, you mentioned you're able to throw the money at it, and that's a great blessing to have. But what about? Uh, for for others who uh, may be in similar scheduling challenging situations, mm. um, do you have any any other thoughts on ways that people uh, would tackle uh, that? Absolutely, because it it can be a stress on the relationship with your partner, um, and you if you don't get ahead of it, you're going to end up in trouble. Um, and and we did for a bit, and we're working on it actively now. In fact, we just sat down today and said, "Okay, what are what are our big buckets?" It's, and so we're trying to be thoughtful about it. I'm trying to spend time 
with prep work. And that's neither of our strong suits because we're so stressed from our jobs. Yeah. So we, we just have come to realize like if we don't do the prep work, we're always going to be playing catch up and that's going to be super stressful. Um, so ha- coming up with systems that work for us um, is going to be different than systems that work for you and your wife or for our friends and their partners. Um, so for us, it's the Google calendars. Um, and then we're looking for an omni-focus type thing that couples can use. Um, but um, it's it's really like putting the work in early will save you lots of time. It's just hard when you're tired. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and you're all's schedules as medical professionals and uh, the crazy hours that that happen in between. I mean, that's that, that's nuts. Now, I want to um, I, I actually I'm very curious about this. Do you remember how many deliveries that you've done as an OBGYN up to this point? Actually, I have that number somewhere. I think if you add them together, I'm approaching a thousand um, wow. C-section and vaginal deliveries. Wow. Uh, wh- one more than the other? For me, um, I my first year where you get most of your vaginal delivery um, exposure um, was a little bit of a lower end, uh, not lower end, a lower volume program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have quite a few more cesarean sections. Um, during our second year in training, you're kind of just a, a workhorse. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, there, there were days where I do four or five C-sections in a row. Wow. Um, you know, go home, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. <laughs> so what was your first one like? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm trying to be careful with HIPAA here. Yeah, I, yeah, I can certainly. remember, um, uh, you know, you, you, I'm a intern in this very re- remote town in, in Pennsylvania. Um, but it's a tertiary care center that so pulls in from all over the place. And, you know, you don't realize it because uh, you're so focused on yourself, but you have the attending doctor and your senior resident. So like, they're not going to let you screw up anything. Yeah. They don't let you do anything that you're, you're not ready for. Um, but I just remember going, Oh my gosh, I'm going to like do this and there's going to be a baby coming out. So that was the first time me as a surgeon doing it. Um, and then I also remember, you know, the first time as a med student, just seeing it, like that's why I went into OB is like this baby came out and I was like, that's so freaking cool. Like there, there was this baby inside the mom and now there's this live baby and we have successfully gotten through this, possibly dangerous situation and everyone's <laughs> happy and i like i like it's cliche but i cried a little bit my first you know few deliveries that, that i saw um in med school dude it's beautiful man that that's one thing deanne always gives me a hard time about and she doesn't let me forget was how i was like staring down the whole time and i forgot to put her leg down when she was pushing <laughs> and when she was taking a break my her leg was just up by her ear and she was like put my and I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry. You know, you just like, you're just caught up in the moment and it is beautiful, man. Uh, mother nature, like it's, it's incredible. So, uh, but, but let's, let's talk about your own experience becoming a dad. So, uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, your first daughter was born, uh, the same year Aria was born. What was that experience like? Did you get to deliver your own daughter? So there are certain things that a man should not do. And one of those things is be the doctor uh, for their the delivery of their their kid. At least that's my opinion. My yeah, my sure. wife needed a husband, not a doctor. She yeah. had she had a good friend of mine uh, deliver and one of my mentors as the supervising doc. Um, so we were in good hands, and uh, I was super glad to take off my doctor hat and be there. Um, oh man, I'm gonna tear up. Uh, uh, be there for 
um, how awesome she did. And I was just, you know, to see Sydney when she came out, like, um, I didn't want it, that doctor brain on that. Yeah. That wasn't like, cause I have it on so much other times. I don't like, that's not. Hey, that's great because you know, a lot of the times we always reflect on that day. First of all, it's very, it, so much happens and you're just all of a sudden, the next thing you know, there's a kid there and, yeah. uh, to be present in that moment is is great. That is so great. So so good on you for thinking that through. I didn't even take that into consideration. That yeah, you you would not want to be the doctor on uh you know on duty there. So so what was it like holding your daughter for the first time? So I was one of those people that always knew I wanted to be a dad, and I was right. I just didn't realize how right I was. Um, my wife did something which I thought was like the weirdest thing when she she did it she got a birth photographer i was like that is so hippie and weird and i'm so glad that she did that because like i could just see these pictures of her and like just overwhelming happiness is indescribable um just warmth and like surprise and awe um that one of the best days of my life. It's, it's, <laughs> there's cliches for a reason. And, 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 uh, there's oh, a totally. reason people say that. Yeah, that is, it's so true though. I mean, there really isn't anything, any other way to, to put it. It is one of the best, uh, days of your life as a parent. Um, one of the things, by the way, that you just said that resonated so much with me was how, yeah, I wanted to be a dad, but I didn't know how much I wanted to be a dad until, you know, until like you hold your kid. So, mm -hmm. uh, when you held her, uh, what was going through your mind? Oh, wow. So I do want to hit back on, on one thing. I, I oh, know sure. that there are some guys who don't get there right away and that's okay too. Cause like, oh, yes. I, I just wanted to make sure like, I, like this is for me. Um, I just, I, the unconditional love that I had for her, like just was there mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're thinking through all these things. I can't wait to like have her listen to some Coheed and Cambria. I can't wait to teach her martial arts. I can't <laughs> wait to, um, you know, all these things that are, are sort of my projections. And now, um, now it's two and a half years later. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's singing Lizzo and killing me. And my heart is growing so big. Um, my wife and I joke, there's a medical term for a large chart called cardiomegaly. And we always say that when we just feel overwhelmed by how yeah. much we love our, love our kids. That is so great, man. I can, I can definitely feel the love, uh, coming from you there. So now, um, from the perspective of an OBGYN uh, in that birthing situation, uh, how were you able to handle that? Uh, let, let, let's just say, how were you able to keep the doctor hat off, off without, you know, your wife going through the process and you're not overanalyzing something you're trying to be present in the moment? Was that challenging for you? I had very immense trust in the people that were taking care of us. Um, and I just turned that the heartbeat sound down in the room, <laughs> you know, it's That's just fair. Just turn it off. They'll, they'll, deal with as it needs to be um you know i was just like okay let's get my wife comfortable she's got to do all the hard work um so that's you know <laughs> i to be honest i did nap a bit too because i i was on overnights and she came in uh and sort of the, towards the end of my shift so i kind of slept for a lot of her labor oh really um, did you well, yeah. did she give birth at the same hospital that you were working at yeah oh yeah. that's great um, it was, it was such a mess. It was such a great night. Um, she, 
very common for women that they're not sure if they have urinated or have broken their water. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she was in the middle of a shift and, uh, called me up and was like, uh, I'm not sure. I was like, you're coming, you're going to get someone to cover you and you're going to come over and get checked out to make sure she's like, I'm going to wait. I was like, I will call your doctor and have her make you come in. If you don't turned out she had ruptured and it was, it was time to go. Wow. Okay. So I remember when Deanna's water broke, it's a lot of liquid, like more than pee. Right. So, Typically. Well, well, actually it is pee. Uh, oh, okay. it's baby pee. Um, and the, the hole can be a leak. It can be a complete gush. Um, it could be really hard to tell. Oh yeah. Cause hers, well, they had to, they had to break it. So it was just all of a sudden, Deanna's going to hate me for this. It yep. was like a freaking rapids coming down. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. Whoa, what happened? And they're, Oh, we just broke the, we just broke her water. And it's, Oh, yep. okay. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. Seeing it it's, happen uh, in person is totally different than what you expect in, you know, like movies and fictional stuff like that, you know? Sometimes it's a waterfall and sometimes it's a trickle. Oh, that's wild. That's wild. So so yeah. let's let's jump into um uh, some of these really important things that that men uh should keep in mind or partners in whatever situation during the birthing process. Uh as somebody who has witnessed uh, almost a thousand, you know, like a lot of births. Uh, what are some of the, the do's and don'ts that people should consider during the birthing process to make their partner comfortable? That's an excellent question. There are so many different ways of going about it and everyone's relationship is going to be different. Um, the, the big thing is being there and backing up your partner with whatever decision they're making. Being in healthcare, uh, there are times where patients will feel that they're not being heard. So being an advocate at that time is super important as well. There are guys who will make jokes when they're uncomfortable, and I'm one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just be careful with that. Um, remember, they're going through a, a lot of pain, and uh, a lot of things are going to be said, and they may not mean them. In, um, they might mean them 100% in the moment, but they may not mean them long-term as well. Yeah. Um, and then going into that day, having talked about it beforehand. So you know what, what your partner wants you to do. Uh, Cause everyone's a little bit different um, with do, do you want a hand on your head when pain? Do you want me to ask about pain control? Um, there's so many little variables that are um, come down to you having an open conversation with your partner um, and having that, that talk beforehand. Uh, yes. Listen to your partner when she tells you to put her leg down for the love of God. <laughs> But the, the other thing is you're going to screw it up. Yes. Good and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Like just do the best you can. There is one note. There is one no, no, um, as a doc that we just like, we have to bite our tongue is guys don't ask for the extra stitch at the end. It's kind of like, you might think it's funny, but it's not funny. <laughs> and there's not been a single woman who's appreciated that joke, except the one mom who did respond with, yeah, he's really tiny and I should get it. Oh, <laughs> good for her. Um, so good I was like, her. bam, you're my favorite patient. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it, you know, just, just know, know your audience is all I'm saying. Very good. Very good. Um, so, so talk to me about uh, day of. Um, I know nutrition and, and uh, you as a partner should you should be you know taking care of yourself during this. What are some of the situations where you've seen 
let's say the 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 father to be not eating or uh, mm-hmm. coming in exhausted. Like, what are some some things that they should keep in mind uh, to be prepared for that day? Yeah, um, have a go bag. Um, have simple snacks that are not the snacks that are going to make her pissed when she can't eat. Um, a lot of docs, um, will have either like a, a clear liquid diet or, um, or what we call NPO or nothing by mouth, um, after a certain point. Um, so, um, you might get evil stares if you're eating something delicious, um, but definitely have some snacks. Um, maybe you can step out of the room and that's okay. Like drink water, like take naps. And you know, when, when it's early on in the process, it's not as big of a deal. Later on, it can be, um, they can be a little hangry. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you're going to be in the, you know, it's going to be 2 a.m. and you haven't slept yet and you're going to be called in. Um, sometimes it's, you're going to have a planned induction and you're going to be able to know when you're going in. And then that's a little bit easier. Um, but just realizing that you are there for each other, that your goal is not to entertain other people. Your goal is to like maintain strength and relaxation um, until it's time to push. God, that, um, that, by the way, is so important, the the entertaining other people. Uh, just from um, experiences, like not, not really my experience, because everybody was pretty like respectful, but uh, there, uh, there have been situations that I'm aware of where it's like, the grandparents to be are texting like, "What's the latest? What's the latest? What's the latest?" And mm-hmm. you're just stop. First of all, like mm-hmm. that is awful. Uh, you know, you have to let this couple be a couple and and go through this process together. Um, and, and even people in the waiting room, just like like sending nurses, you know, like and, and it's just it's awful. Uh, so yeah, I think it's best to, it, it, that's a really good point. You got to just focus on what's happening right there and, uh, and be there for each other. And that's a big part of staying in the moment. Um, at least from my experience, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that was- I, I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, I've seen, I've made some actually um, acquaintances and friends from patients because they've, you know, I walk in and the the wife and the husband are playing Magic the Gathering. And I'm like, oh, now I know why you named your kid Liliana. Okay, cool. Ah, cool. Um, you know, the, so they've got this thing where they're like just spending the time together, something to take the mind off of off of the waiting or the discomfort or the pain, um, and that is a huge. Thing to think about what are you going to do as you're waiting because sometimes it takes hours yeah um, or days yeah. for this process what was the longest labor that you uh experienced um with one of your patients are you allowed to say i don't know i mean uh, sort of in general i mean we've even had had patients who've been in there for a day or two and it's just like this isn't happening you're safe you're not ruptured Let's give it some more, the you know some more time to bake that bun in the oven, and we'll bring it back and try again. And because we don't want to push it to the point where we're causing you to have a C-section, um, you know, I, I've had very short uh, processes as well as where, you know as the woman is delivered in the elevator on the way up to the labor oh, and delivery floor. My gosh! So it's it's uh, there's a there's a uh, normal curve to this, and you know most people fall within that sort of normal. Um, distribution but yeah there's there's everyone who falls sort of uh at the tail ends too you know there are people yeah. who do end up with c-sections and i know that's a controversial topic although we're not a medical podcast um 
but uh, you know, there are people who do need it and there are people who come in and, and uh, they sneeze out their child. So. Yeah. So I, I think that that's actually a really uh, good next topic because I'm very interested in, in knowing, um, well, I, I'll say that I know the reasons why you typically have to get a C-section. Um, what should parents to be, uh, be, uh, uh, aware of and be ready to know when they go into the hospital and they may be faced with that, Hey, we might have to do the C-section. I, I just implore all doctors and, and everyone I've trained with and who has taught me and I have talked to as, as junior residents, um, is you never want to surprise a patient. It's something that should be talked about in the clinic, in the office before you're even in the hospital for your day. Mm. Um, you know, what are those things that we're worried about? Um, so realize that, you know, 10 to 20% of, you know, um, low risk patients can still end up with them. And the overall rate of the hospital can be in the 20 plus percent range. Mm. Um, wow. sometimes lot. it's, it's simply just the cervix is not cooperating and medically this baby needs to be delivered. Um, and then you come to your medically indicated urgent C-sections where the baby's in danger and we need to be able to get the baby out safely. Mm -hmm. um, so the doctor should be, one, communicating with you, letting you know like, oh, if this, ha you know, these are the things that are happening. Here's your, your heart rate chasing. And that's um, something that they should be talking to you about if there are concerns. That way they're sort of planting the seed of like, oh, you know what, your your baby's kind of gone through some speed bumps. If this were to continue to happen and you're not 10 centimeters, we want to be safe not and not take a risk. Yeah. Um, there was talk about that with Deanna. I remember in the room they were, you know, eventually Deanna delivered naturally, but there was a, a, a small concern involving the, the heart rate and uh, her dilation at that point. And that was just, uh, it was, it was, mm -hmm. it, it was, I don't, I don't know if it was scary. I think, I think Deanna was certainly more scared as, as she should warranted, you know, she was the one doing mm -hmm. the, the work. Right. But um, to me, uh, just knowing how, uh, how I guess common it is, but it's also, uh, you know, people know what they're doing when it comes to that. And uh, it certainly is certain, you know, more invasive. But I mean, how, how much risk is there with a C-section? It is major abdominal surgery. Um, it is the most, one of the most commonly performed surgeries as well. Mm. Um, it is, and it's not technical. It's not difficult in terms of anatomy and there's not microsurgery and there's not um, delicate anatomy in the sense of like, uh, a plastic surgeon doing work on the eye. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of pain and there are complications that can happen. And the more emergent the, the surgery is, the more those dangers uh, pop up, which is why those discussions are, you know, it's very important. If you have a good doctor, they're talking to you about them in the office, not the day that you're in there for labor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's so important. Uh, and that's something that I don't, I don't think was discussed with us. Like the, the, you, I don't think that they saw Deanna and did, you know, all the normal examinations and everything and C-section came up as even a remote possibility. I think yeah. they informed us of, of what it was and mm. et cetera, but it wasn't ever a, Hey, uh, you might want to prep yourself for this. If it comes down to that, 
uh, until we got to the hospital and they started noticing the heartbeat and stuff. Does that happen mm-hmm. often? Yeah. So there are quite a few different types of heartbeat patterns that are concerning. Um, and there are a few different ways we intervene. Um, and most of the time they work and then you get to, uh, you know, baby's head is down. They are progressing along. Things are, are looking great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we don't have to have that conversation. Um, but the first time I, you know, um, ask, ask your docs about it, guys. If you're having another kid um, and you didn't have that talk the first time, ask them about it in the office because you can. that's the best time when, when the, the iron is not hot. Mm-hmm. Everything is cool. You're not in any danger. Um, that's the best time to get that information of like, oh, like, what is your tolerance? Do you do forceps? Do you do a vacuum? Do you, um, what is your C-section rate? Um, yeah. Those are those are all questions um, that are important to ask. And, and being a partner and going to those visits, if you can, not everyone has the privilege of doing that, is just another brain or another list of questions that can be asked that aren't forgotten about. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you went there because what I wanted to do was shift a little bit to – uh, you know, some months prior to uh, the actual delivery, how a partner can be uh, supportive of their pregnant um, partner. So in in uh, my case, for instance, I was able to go to, I would say like 90 to 95% of Deanna's appointments. And That's I awesome. wanted to do that because when I, I just, I thought it was so cool to like see the heartbeat and Mm-hmm. You know, see a picture of Aria before I was able to actually like meet her. So I thought that that was super cool, and uh, I, I wanted to be there for everything. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm sure witnessing many couples go through this on the impact that it has uh, being present during that for your partner. I think just sometimes the fact that you are in the room is all of it. Is that you are out there part of the process um remind uh, you know some uh, guys will remind them oh you wanted to ask about this and you know that type of support that teamwork is is everything for the patients that i've seen um my wife probably thought i was more annoying because uh, i <laughs> i would offer up her belly oh oh you're a med, you're a med student do you want to do an ultrasound on your belly my wife would look at me i was like oh i'm sorry i didn't have your permission <laughs> <laughs> Did she, did your wife go to your office to like, what, where did she, she go? Saw, she did not see the residents. She saw, um, one, one of the groups that supervised my training. Ah, okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. That's a, and that's great because you have that familiarity, like what you were talking about. I think that's, that makes it special. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah. It's, uh, we, one of my favorite mentors w- was in there. Um, and one of my best friends from the residency program, um, were the people who delivered Sydney, um, and uh, you know uh, the the doc, Doctor Roland, and I have kind of a similar sense of humor. And he's Sydney came out with Elvis like hair, and uh, she's like coming out, and he's like pretending to braid her hair. <laughs> and my, my wife just wanted to smack him. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help but laugh at that. That's great. Arya yeah, had a lot of hair too, man. Like, hey, is it true by the way? If if they have a lot of hair, it causes a lot of heartburn. You know, there there are women who swear that's true. Uh, I don't know of any uh, science that backs it up, but um, there is science that backs up things like redheads and and, and pain thresholds and pain medicine is a, is a thing. And wow. um, you know, we don't we don't know everything about the body. So yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, you know, another part of of the pre birth um, process, and this is something that we recently went through. I talked about it on the latest episode, uh, miscarriage. 
is uh, a frighteningly common thing that happens. Mm -hmm. It's also frighteningly a taboo subject that people don't like to talk about. And uh, me being the very open book that I am, I brought it up on this show uh, on this last episode and, and you had commented that you were able to listen to it and I appreciated the kind, kind words mm -hmm. there and, and your support because you and I were talking a little bit about it prior to you coming on the show. Um, I think that it's, it's an important topic to be aware of and to be educated on uh, and be prepared for emotionally and uh, and just from a knowledge perspective. Uh, can you share a little bit of detail about what happens during a miscarriage? Sure. I think the first step is to talk about like what what do we mean by common, right? How, you know, who does go through this and what does it mean? So it's, if we talk about early pregnancy loss, so first trimester, first 13 weeks or so, you know, 10% of all recognized, meaning documented pregnancies, are going to end in a miscarriage. That's one out of 10. That's, that's, it's a, lot. that's a lot. It is right? a lot, yeah. Think about how many people are, are born each year. Yeah. Um, and even if it is six weeks, seven weeks of pregnancy, um, or you know, quote unquote, a uh, chemical pregnancy. Uh, it's a loss of possibility. So emotionally it's for some women, it's very devastating. Some yeah. women are in different situations. It's not as devastating or they didn't even know they were pregnant and they had a miscarriage or, um, you know, they didn't have time to develop an attachment or were choosing not to develop an attachment. Um, but, but if you think about it, um, so 10% of all recognized pregnancies and a lot of women are pregnant more than once, which, you know, as that number goes up, the chances are that they've gone through it. On the other hand, with that number, that, that frequency, most women, that just mean that's just their, their one, you know, it's, um, they will be able to go on and have a successful pregnancy and not have another miscarriage. There's actually not much of a difference in, that next pregnancy, there's not an increased risk of, um, of a miscarriage. So does it actually lower your chance of a miscarriage if you, if you've just had one? I'm not aware of that data. If that is the case. Oh, okay. I was, I was just curious. Um, it can, um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure if there's any data on sure. that. Okay. Um, but, but, um, and you don't have to wait long to get back to if, Having a family is something that, that you want after a miscarriage, um, physiologically, psychologically, it's going to be up to each person differently. Right. Like, cause, cause some people get it hit really hard. Yeah. You know? And, and I can say for, for us, you know, it hit us really hard. Um, and mostly because we were talking about it together, you know, what that future is going to look like, how excited we were about Aria becoming a, a big sister and, mm -hmm. and that whole process. And it was heartbreaking. Uh, it, and I remember talking to a, a few folks, and I, I'm pretty sure you and I talked about it. It was, it, was, it really is a, uh, a a grieving process that people have mm -hmm. to go through be, uh, when they go through that. Uh, just like any other death, um, there is a a death of possibility, and um, and that uh, opportunity that you had to uh, witness becoming a parent again. In our case, uh, that was that was sad. Um, now, for the actual 
technical piece because you, you threw out around a couple of terms like chemical pregnancy or uh, you know early term uh, pregnancy, like what happens in the first trimester versus the second trimester. Could, mm-hmm. could you give some explanation? You know, and I, and I'm thinking about those parents out there right now who are thinking about getting pregnant again or or people who want to get pregnant or are in the middle of this first trimester uncertainty. You know, what sort of information would you be able to provide just to educate? I think that the important thing is to know, like, when when should I know what? Like, when when should I go to the doc? When uh, when will I know if this is a pregnancy that's going to go forward? Um, so we talk about trimesters. We're talking typically we talk about weeks. Uh, a pregnancy is you know we talk about it as forty weeks. We split it into you know um, thirteen week chunks. Um, and then early on is a lot, it was when a lot of the development happens. And then this chemical pregnancy is, you know, there, are, there's the things, the primordial soup that can make life, but for some reason it doesn't come together and you get a signal of hormones that suggest pregnancy, but there's never ever anything that's measurable that is recognizable as a potential human in the future. So a chemical pregnancy, not an actual pregnancy, but it, you know, psychologically it does feel like one, mm-hmm. especially if you lose, especially if you lose it. Um, and then when you talk about, okay, how do we know if we are pregnant? Well, you have your, your blood tests and then you have your imaging. And then, uh, so if you look at every hospital has their own specific, criteria but that ultrasound so you have your what's called a transvaginal ultrasound it's an ultrasound it's through the vagina through the cervix using sound waves to look at how big is this pregnancy if we can detect one you know um, and they use size criteria that are either like you can be like suspicious for um, either an early pregnancy or or this is a failed pregnancy mm. and uh, so those are the things you know that your docs are going to talk to you about oh, you know we saw you know, a, a bean that's less than a centimeter and we didn't see a heartbeat or we saw a yolk sac and we're not sure if it's big enough. So we're going to bring you back. Um, so the expectation is if you don't have a, like a very clear, it's the gray area. That's the hardest. Yeah. I think once patients know like, okay, I miscarried or no, I didn't miscarry. This, this is fine. So it's that gray area where you're in this, zone where it's like not sure so what you can expect is to like either have repeat blood work or going go back in and have repeat imaging uh, that ultrasound um, and they're, what they're looking for is growth and, and heart rate and you know if they don't see that over time or they don't see that those changes in those hormone numbers that's that diagnosis of a failed pregnancy yeah, and and it's a very emotionally driven time that first trimester where there's so much uncertainty. I mean, we we experienced that. Uh, it it was a different type of anxiety because you know we had never been through it with Aria, um, but it's still anxiety and there's still emotion behind it because you're like, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Like, fingers crossed. Like, let's let's get through this thing. Like, uh, very excited about it. Um, and there's a lot of emotion on the front end of, of a, of a birth. There's a lot of emotion on the back end of it as well. And that's the next part that I kind of want to jump into postpartum. Uh, we hear terms like postpartum depression and, uh, that that's a very scary thing. And, uh, what are some of the red flags 
that people should consider around the postpartum time and around postpartum depression, uh, especially from the, the partner perspective who didn't give birth, things to look for? Uh, one, sleep is such a huge component of this i i think that and that most moms are not getting enough i know my wife like was such a freaking trooper with the breastfeeding um and then you have if you have those expectations of help like having the family over like it can get really over so so one providing enough space for rest and micro naps because they're not going to be getting those um those those sleeps that we might get as as the non-breastfeeding or non-pumping um, or not, you know, or even if it's bottle feeding, you know, those moms will still react a little bit different. Their their brain's wired a little bit more sensitive than ours um, to, to those baby's needs. Um, and the less sleep they get, the less continuous sleep, the harder it is for them to have resilience to, to postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and postpartum depression is not just stress from being a mom it's it's like an organic change that can also lead to psychosis can lead to suicide um and can be hard to treat and um knowing your partner and being okay going early going to your pediatrician visits they're going to screen going back to the ob and just you can even call them up as the partner and, and they'll tell you to, to come in. Um, there's a lot of options for management, whether it be talk therapy, medication, and bringing in other support. Um, but the on, on the flip side is as the partner, men, we're we're at risk for it too. Oh, interesting. Um, there's there, there are some great psychologists who are doing work in men's issues. Um so paying attention to yourself, having, I mean, we use the phrase is it takes a village. There used to be a village to help you out. We don't have that now. Um, so leaning on as many people as you can, if you have that access is super helpful, but getting into seeing a doc and getting the right treatment for some people's medication, for some people's talk therapy, for some people's other things. Um, but, but having a very low threshold for asking for help. It's okay to ask for help. That's the biggest yeah. thing. And we've we've talked about that a lot on this show about how the, the we've used that phrase a bit. Uh, takes a village, and that is so so true. Um, you know, uh, I, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into the the you know the father's side of this. It, you you talked about some postpartum. Uh, depression. There is it the same symptoms um, from a male perspective. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, maybe I'm doing a disservice by calling it postpartum depression. Maybe we should call it something else um, because of the you know there's a little bit of a difference in terms of there, we're not having the same hormone changes that a mom is, but we do know that men ha- do have hormone changes. There's a change of testosterone among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but depression itself, you know, increase or decrease sleepiness, increase or decrease appetite, loss of interest, um, anhedonia, meaning sort of just feeling blah um those are all there from either the mom or the dad side there's um so taking care of yourself making sure that there's you know eating drinking uh water making sure that you know your sleep is as close to you know normal as it can be as a new parent um 
And physical activity is just as good as medication in mild to moderate cases. Um, so so the, that is another thing you can do. But again, you're juggling so many things in this new period, which is why having extended family can be helpful if they know the boundaries for not overwhelming the mom. That was such a big help for us because both sets of our parents were just amazing when Aria was born. Like they, they knew uh, if, and we were pretty, we were pretty good. I, I'd say we could probably be better about asking for help. There were some mm-hmm. moments where we like, we got to that edge. We were like, ah, we should have asked for help like a day ago. <laughs> like We definitely pushed it a little much, but I'll tell you what, our parents were right there. Um, and it's great because our parents are, uh, you know, 30 minutes away from us. Uh, and they, uh, they would drop everything and come help us out. So it was a tremendous mm-hmm. blessing. It was awesome. Um, I'm so glad you had that. Yeah. Did you end up having, uh, any, any help when the kids were born? Absolutely. We've been pretty lucky that our, both our sets of parents are great. We've got sort of family friends that are, um, sort of a nanny to Sydney and Bryn. And, um, we've been able to pull those resources mm-hmm. and that has been helpful. And the other thing as, you know, as a dad, uh, having a partner who, you know, is at risk for that. If you think they might need you to do something, don't wait for them to ask. It's okay to just go do it. Like I'm going to take the kids today. I want you to sleep in. Yeah. Like, Cause when you're depressed, the first, it's hard to make that ask cause you don't have the energy to. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, whether this be postpartum or you have a friend who might, you know, be in a severe depression, reach out first. That can be the, that can be the thing you can do as a, as a friend or a partner. God, that's such a good point. That's such a good point, man. You brought a lot of wisdom to the, uh, to the conversation here. This has been so good. And, and, and I always like to, uh, end the show, um, with some words of wisdom. So, you know, thinking back to our conversation, we've talked a lot about, you know, this process of, uh, being present is a, is such an overwhelming uh, theme across many episodes of the show, uh, but especially during that birthing process and even before being present for your partner prior to the birthing process, after the birthing process, postpartum. Um, and we, we've also talked about how to, you know, handle some of the, some of the, the difficult times from miscarriages to uh, unexpected C-sections to, uh, you know, some of the postpartum depression, uh, mm-hmm. based on everything that we've talked about, do you have any other words of wisdom that you would give to the parents out there listening to the show today? If you have a difficult question or a different difficult conversation that needs to happen, doing that might be scary and painful, but that's probably the best thing you can do for yourself and your partner. Just having those tough conversations, having those, those heart to hearts where, you know, you're scared that, you know, you know, things aren't going right. Um, you know, talking about them and, and making sure you're on the same page is going to, uh, make things a lot better as you go forward. I think that's the biggest advice I can give is I don't know what your conversation is. Uh, you know, the Royal you, um, you know, I know what my, our conversations have been and I'm every time we've done it, it's been scary, but it's been, uh, a, a great benefit to, to our lives. Yeah. Do the hard things. Yeah. Do the hard things now. It makes life easier. So um, thank you again, John Louisa, for for being our doctor. John Louisa, 
You have your, is it, is it doctor? It, it, yeah, it's doctor, but I tell my patients they can call me John. All right. Well, John, um, just simply John. John, thank you so much for your time uh, and sharing your story and sharing so much great wisdom. It's been so awesome having you on the show. Finally, finally having you on the show. <laughs> Months later. Months later. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for you know helping parents out with this. I think you're doing great work here. Big thanks again to Dr. John Louisa for sharing his story on the Dad Chronicle. Thank you again for being a patron. And if you want to be a patron, you can do so by heading over to thedadchronicle.com, by the way, where you can subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. But on that page, you'll see a button to become a patron. That'll send you to our patron site. There are a bunch of different uh, award levels so that you can pick the right level that works for you. Every dollar counts. So if you have a dollar laying around that you want to throw towards this show to help with the production costs, please do so. And if you'd like to chime in on the conversation, please send an email to the dad chronicle podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.